Lesson 13 for September 17 through to 23. How shall we wait? Sabbath afternoon, September 17. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and for your word. We thank you for the expectation that Jesus will come soon. But we know there's a time for us to wait. And as we wait, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us this week in our study to know what to do. We pray that during that time we may want to share your love with those around us. But today, as we come to the end of this quarter, I'd like to pray for each person who's listening to this series of lessons that they may be blessed in their own personal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through to 13. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Let's read that again. Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through to 13. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. For several years preceding the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, the Seventh-day Adventist churches in San Francisco and Oakland, California were buzzing. Members were involved in visiting the sick and destitute. They found homes for orphans and work for the unemployed. They nursed the sick and taught the Bible from house to house. Members distributed Christian literature and gave classes on healthful living. The churches also conducted a school for the children in the basement of the Laguna Street Meeting House. A working men's home and medical mission were maintained. They had a health food store along with a vegetarian cafe. The members had started ship mission work at the local port and their ministers conducted meetings in large halls in the city from time to time. Ellen White had called these churches the two beehives and were thrilled by their work. What powerful examples of what we should and could be doing now as we await the second coming. Our Lord is coming back, that we know. The crucial issue for us is, what are we doing while we wait? On that answer hangs the destiny of souls. Sunday, September 18, While We Wait for Jesus The disciples had just been admiring the glorious scene as the sun's rays glinted off the temple. Jesus, wanting to focus their attention on the realities facing the Christian church in the near future and the end time, cryptically gave them a dose of reality by saying, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown out, Matthew 24, 2. Surprised by his comment, the disciples asked, When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's verse 3. In Matthew 24, verses 4 to 31, Jesus then tells them the things to expect to see unfold in the world before he returns. 
In revealing the signs, Jesus warns, But the end is still to come, in Matthew 24, 6, and that all these are the beginning of birth pains, in verse 8. The direct answer to the disciples' question comes in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In this discourse, the first 35 verses in Matthew 24 motivate us to take the signs seriously. But Jesus also tells us how we are to wait for the end of the age, as he says in verse 3. In other words, we just don't sit there and wait for him to come as we would sit at a bus stop and wait for a bus. No, we are given plenty to do as we wait for the Lord's second advent. Question. Read Matthew chapter 24, verses 36, through to chapter 25, verse 46. Each one of these parables talks about what God's people should be doing as they await the second coming of Jesus. Summarize the essence of what the Lord is telling us here. Then, we need to ask ourselves, both individually and as a church, how well are we following the Lord's instructions for us in each of these parables. Let's begin Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man travelling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his lord's money. After a long time the lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to every one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing, of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus here begins to exhort his disciples about the way his true followers will wait for him to come again. During this period, Jesus' disciples will always be ready. They will show love, care and respect to each other while waiting. They will stay alert, prepare ahead and be responsible for their own spiritual condition. They will multiply the resources that God has placed in their hands, invest talents and money in God's cause, respect the true character of their loving God and care, as it says, for the least of these. Monday, September 19, Revival and Reformation While We Wait Question, read Second Peter chapter 3 Summarize the teachings in this chapter that pertain to revival and reformation. How do these verses fit in with the topic we've been studying all quarter? Second Peter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, Beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. God's desire is that everyone will come to repentance, as it said in verse 9. Though we cannot do the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing people to repentance, we are called to reach them with the message of salvation, which, if accepted, will lead to repentance. We too, as church members, need to be in an attitude of repentance. Repentance is part of the process of revival and reformation. Revival means to come back to life, to be renewed, restored. Reformation means to be reshaped, reformed, to be a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Writing in Selected Messages, Book 1, page 121, Ellen White says, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. End of quote. The how should we wait passages in yesterday's study illustrate conditions and outcomes of revival and reformation. For example, all ten virgins need to be revived, awakened out of sleep, as we read in Matthew 25. The foolish virgins needed to increase their capacity for the Holy Spirit in their lives. When we humble ourselves, die to self, unselfishly pray, study God's word, and lovingly share it with others in word and loving deeds, we increase our capacity for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in latter rain power. However, it is possible to study the Bible for hours and still be a selfish person. We could pray for revival in the latter rain, but selfishly want it only for ourselves. Revival always leads to unselfish concern for others. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be reformed into passionate, mission and service-centered disciples. We need revival and reformation in our prayers, in Bible study, and in our focus on asking for the Holy Spirit in latter rain abundance. 
But, as a church, we also need revival and reformation in our attitudes and methods. We need revival and reformation in our attitude and actions toward the least of these. All this has been the focus of this quarter's lesson. So to finish today, how can we guard ourselves against complacency in regard to the second coming of Jesus? That is, as the years go by, how can we always keep before ourselves the reality and urgency of the Lord's return? Tuesday, September 20, The Mission of the Church While We Wait Question. Read James chapter 2, verses 14 through to 26. In what ways do these verses encapsulate who we are and why we are here? Let's begin James chapter 2 at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. In Sunday study, the disciples start out pointing to the beauty of the temple buildings. Jesus points their attention to the condition of the church within and its mission to an ending world. The fact is that the church exists because there is a mission and not vice versa. The mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as expressed in the General Conference Working Policy A05, is to make disciples of all people, communicating the everlasting gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24.14, in the context of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14.6-12, leading them to accept Jesus as personal saviour and unite with his remnant church, discipling them to serve him as Lord and preparing them for his soon return. End of quote. Preaching teaching and healing are the suggested methods to pursue this mission. Under healing, the working policy says, 
affirming the biblical principles of the well-being of the whole person, we make the preservation of health and the healing of the sick a priority, and through our ministry to the poor and oppressed, cooperate with the Creator in His compassionate work of restoration. End of quote. This quarter began with the concept that Jesus wants to restore his image in humanity and empower us as his followers to be instruments of holistic restoration in our communities. In the Ministry of Healing, page 143, we read, The world needs today what it needed 1900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental and spiritual, can be accomplished. End of quote. After hearing a seminar that presented the ministry of Jesus as a model and mission for his end-time church, a church member made this statement. In our part of the world, we are not very open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. What we've heard this week about following the ministry method of Jesus actually is not new. It's an old idea. We just forgot it. And so to finish today, faith without works is dead. How have you discovered the reality of how closely linked faith and works are? In what ways do works increase your faith? Wednesday, September 21. Preparing for the final harvest while we wait. Jesus used farming language in his teaching about the kingdom, as pointed out in Lesson 5. As we have seen, farming is not merely an event, it is a patient process. It is a regularly repeated cycle with different stages and different jobs for different people at different times. We need to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and the providences of God in regard to how we can be used by the Lord in the process of preparing the ground, planting the seeds, and reaping the harvest. Question. Read John chapter 4, verses 35 to 38. What kind of imagery is being used there, and what is the message to us in regard to how we should work for others? John chapter 4, verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not laboured, others have laboured, and you have entered into their labours. The fact is, we don't know people's hearts. We don't know how the Holy Spirit has been working in their lives. We might look at various people and think that they have a long way to go before they are being ready to be harvested, when in reality, all they need is someone to urge them to make a commitment to Jesus. There is a battle for the heart and mind of every human being, and God is calling us to help people choose Him. Question. 
Read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through to 8. What is the message to us here in the context of outreach? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labour. In his own way, Paul is saying here what Jesus said in the previous example. The work of outreach is like the work of a farmer. We might not all be doing the same tasks, but that work is still a crucial part of the process of reaching out and winning souls. And, although we are to be used by God in various capacities, in the end, it is God alone who can bring about the conversion of a soul. So to finish today, how can we learn to be thankful and humbled by whatever role God has given us in the process of ministering to others? Why is it truly a privilege? Thursday, September 22. The wait is over. Many years ago, English author Charles Dickens wrote a book called A Tale of Two Cities. Those two cities were London and Paris. In a sense, it could be said that the Bible is also a tale of two cities. In this case, the cities are Babylon and Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 8 and Revelation chapter 18, the Apostle John describes Babylon. She has been the home of demons and the haunt of evil spirits. She has caused every nation to commit spiritual adultery. Her doom has been pronounced and she has been declared fallen. This city, a symbol of evil and apostasy and rebellion against God, will one day be defeated and destroyed. Question. Read Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through to 4. How does the New Jerusalem contrast with Babylon? Revelation 21 verses 1 through to 4. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. The second city is the holy city. The new Jerusalem described in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. This city houses those who have chosen the bridegroom and rejected the selfishness and spiritual adulteries of Satan and his followers. By God's grace, the redeemed have obeyed his commandments and reflected the faith of Jesus, as you know so well from Revelation 14 verse 12. Their patient endurance and their eagerness to embrace the ministry of Jesus provided a taste of the kingdom of heaven while on earth. 
They have been saved through faith in Jesus. His righteousness alone made them worthy of heaven. Their care for the least of these in Matthew 25 verse 40 has been the outward manifestation of that saving faith. By the blood of the Lamb, as we read in Revelation 5, the church's role in compassionate restoration has changed to jubilant celebration, as we read in verses 13 and 14. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb for ever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives for ever and ever. In that holy city, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away, as we read in Revelation 21, verse 4. True peace has been restored. The full restoration of the image of God, mentally, spiritually and physically, has taken place. The great controversy is over, and from the minutest atom, as Ellen White says in The Great Controversy, page 678, to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. And so to finish today, we're going to read Revelation chapter 22 and verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In what way does that verse, the last one in the Bible, capture the essence of all that we believe? Friday, September 23. Jesus told us what the signs of the end would be before he returned, and they are not pretty. Wars, rumours of wars, pestilence, etc. If people often use the excuse of evil to reject God, they certainly have plenty of excuses now, and they will have more excuses as we get nearer to the end. Thus it becomes even more crucial for God's people, those who claim to be his followers, to reflect his character to the world and to help people get a better view of what God is like. As Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 9, page 189, if we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth, where now there is only one. What a simple yet powerful statement in regard to outreach and ministry to others. While we wait for Jesus' second coming, he expects members of his church to preach and live the whole gospel, to invest ourselves and our resources in his work, to love, respect and care for people, and to open our lives for the Holy Spirit in his fullness. That's a witness that all the arguments in the world can't nullify. And that brings us to our final three discussion questions for this quarter. One, in class, talk about the difference between what it would be like living in Babylon as opposed to living in Jerusalem, 
What would be the major differences between the two cities? That is, where is the major difference to be found? In what the places look like, or in who lives in them? 2. The great question for Christians is not, do works have a role in the Christian faith? Of course they do. Instead, the question is, if works cannot save us, then what is their role in the Christian faith? How do we answer that question, especially in the context of reaching out and ministering to others in need? And question three, how are we waiting for Jesus to return? That is, what are we doing in our lives that reveals the reality of our belief in his return? Why should we be living differently from those who don't believe in the second coming? Inside Story This is the third part of our Inside Story titled A Changed Heart. It's by Agnes Mukawego and Alita Bird from Rwanda. My husband invented other things for me to do to keep me away from church. I thought, he might keep me from attending church, but he cannot keep me from praying. I told God about my husband's attempts to keep me from attending church and asked God to make his heart softer toward religion. A few weeks later, I returned to the church and this time my husband didn't hit me. Then I went every Sabbath and I began reading the Bible to our children and my husband didn't say anything. He began noticing that on Friday the house was neat and clean, the children were bathed and food was prepared for the next day. He noticed that I was happier and that our home was happier. One Friday evening, he came home to find the Sabbath preparations complete and the children gathered for worship. I invited him to sit down with us. "'I see that your life is different now and you are happier,' he said. "'This way of living is better. While he seldom joined us for prayers, he never again forbade us from worshipping.' I wanted my husband to witness my baptism, but he refused, saying, I don't have time for such things. I asked him again on the Sabbath I was baptised, but he still refused. However, he said I could invite my friends home afterward if I wished. I'll stay home and welcome your friends when they come, he said. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I brought friends home from church. My husband welcomed them, and I was amazed to hear what he told them. My wife has changed. I want to thank you who helped her find God because I see the difference that God has made in her life and our home. I was thrilled with his words. I thank God for changing my husband's heart and his attitude. My husband never again forbade me to attend church and sometimes he went with us. He died last year never having openly given his life to God. But I know that God sees what we cannot see, and I pray that one day I will meet him in heaven when Jesus comes. In the meantime, I thank God for lifting me up from despair and giving me hope and peace in my life. Agnes Mukawigo is an active lay worker in Rwanda. She shares her faith with others wherever she goes and has led many to salvation in Jesus through her testimony. Alita Bird is a writer living in London, in England. Mm -hmm.
This week's lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.